together was immoral. Seems that... Ah, oh, that's another story. We'll get... Do I sound different tonight? Any of you out there notice? I'm using... Uh, they've allowed me to use a microphone tonight. Uh, it's the first time, but uh, we here on the night shift have been allowed to use day shift equipment. And uh, you'll find that we sound very different now. They've taken my single-button carbon microphone. I'll put it to pasture, and I'm allowed to use the same microphone that the important people in the daytime use. You know, the newscasters and... The guys that give the weather and they worry about the time all the time, you know. If I had the wings of an angel, and look, this is a nice microphone here. Hello, one, two, three. Over these, I like to hear my sound of me in it. Let's try it again, Corny. If I had the wings of an angel, born musician, over these prison walls, I am walking. It's <laughs> silly, ridiculous business. This rotten business. Well, I'm walking along. Get, get ready in there. Watch your cue in there, corny man. I'm walking along, see? I'm walking along this, this waterfront street in the ancient city of Tel Aviv. The time is now 1 a.m. And you can hear the ancient waves of the Mediterranean laving the beach below me. <laughs> oh, bring it up there, man. Uh, You'll notice my finger symbol work is superb. Very good, that's enough. Yes, indeed. Um, I'll tell you, coming back, believe me, I'm sorry, coming back to the to the subway, coming back to Needix after Tel Aviv is a rather sharp delineation of values. 
And so I'm walking along. You, you want to hear? Uh, any of you want to hear any more about the uh, about the Rover Boys in the Middle East tonight again? Huh? You want to hear some more about that? All right, I'll tell you what. Those little moments. I am walking along. Hey, you, we can sneak it in there again. See, I'm, I'm, this, there's a, there's a waterfront street that lays just on the edge of the sea in Tel Aviv. And there's a high seawall. Oh, it's maybe chest high. Comes about up here, and it's concrete and heavy stones. And then, as you look over the seawall, it drops sharply down, maybe 30, 40 feet. And there's a short strip of sand, and then the dark, rolling waters of the ancient Mediterranean, the Sea of the Romans, the Sea of all the ancient tribes who moved over it. In fact. In the days of Rome's glory, this sea was called the center of the world. Chum, chum, chum. Bring it up there. Yes, the Mediterranean. You can smell it. There's a smell to the Mediterranean that isn't quite the same as Jones Beach. I don't know how to describe it except to say that as that ancient sea rose over those sunken those sunken urns of Grecian wine casks. It produces something just a little different from Coney Island. Let's <laughs> And as you walk along this street at one o'clock in the morning, you can hear the sound of Middle Eastern music. Uh, you can't even quite tell what country it's from. Whether it's Jordanian, whether it's Syrian, whether it's Lebanese, whether it's Israeli. What it, what it is, no one quite knows. It just comes out of the air from a thousand windows, from a thousand darkened rooms, from ten thousand radios and record players. And it rises to the night on a Saturday, higher and higher. All the while, that ancient, old, friendly Mediterranean rolls on under that fantastic move. Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. Do you know what Tel Aviv means? It means the city of spring. You kind of like that, don't you? <laughs> All right, that's enough of that before I go mad. Before I go mad. Reset that, man. We'll need that a little bit later on. I'm walking along this... this uh, this waterfront street in Tel Aviv. All right, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a uh, a fig leggy with bronze oak leaf palm. If you can tell me, what is the, uh, what what does what does Haifa mean? It has meaning, you know. You've heard the term Haifa. It's a city, which, by the way, looks like San Francisco squared. Haifa is one of the most beautiful cities I've ever seen anywhere in the world. Unbelievably beautiful city. 
this uh, great bay laying down there, that long curving arc of a shoreline, the hills climbing up and those those shady streets, and this a peculiar kind of French quality to it, Haifa. What does it mean, huh? Yeah, you learn things. And I'm walking along this street in Tel Aviv. Now, I'll just give you one little moment where, where, you, where you get that, that kind of strange... Uh, uh, feeling that everything is a little bit out of focus. I'm walking along the street. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. It's Saturday in Tel Aviv. No, it's it's Friday night, really. It was Thursday. Friday night in Tel Aviv. That's right. Maybe... No, wait a minute. Let me think now. Thursday night. That's right. It was Thursday night in Tel Aviv. And, boy, the place is roaring. I'll tell you, the life gets... Uh, it, it gets almost to a frenzy about 10.30, 11, 12 o'clock at night... And there are thousands of people just wandering the streets. Very hot, you know. And uh, people rise late in the morning in these cities, in these tropical, uh, arid cities, and they 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 stay up late, as you know. It's a very everything is moved down just a little bit in time. And you know the the stores close at one o'clock in the afternoon in Tel Aviv, and that's it. Everything stops, and then it begins again at four. The whole afternoon, they just cut that that hot part of the day right out, and the, the traffic stops. The uh, sidewalk cafes empty, and the trees just hang there. The sun is laying overhead, and once in a while, you see somebody walk by. And I'll tell you this: uh, you have to see the girls of Tel Aviv to believe them. Uh, that's all I can say. That I can't say any more than that about them. Uh, they all, I'll tell you what they, the, uh, to use uh, uh, perhaps an analogy that might be uh, more graphic, these chicks generally start where Sophia Loren stops. <laughs> I mean, oh, wow, I couldn't believe it. I mean, the first five minutes I'm in Tel Aviv, I think it was the heat that was getting me, you know. At first I thought maybe it was the heat or I was getting sunstroke or maybe it was a mirage. But actually, you know, they would come by in, in, in singles and then they would come by in pairs. And then they would come by in threes, you know. Sometimes they'd come by in squadron formation, you know. You could hear the finger cymbals. You see the muscles rippling up and down. Holy smokes. And I'm sitting there in the sidewalk cafe. You know, it's terrible. I swallowed a whole cup of Turkish coffee when the first crowd went by me. Cup and all. Hmm. <laughs> it's something that the traffic does to the female figure. Do you agree with me, Carney? Uh. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's terrible. Oh, wow. Well, all right. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. It's Thursday night in Tel Aviv. and It's a full moon. I happen to be lucky to be there during the full moon. And uh, the moon the moon in the, uh, in the vicinity of the equator, particularly in the arid regions of the world. This moon stretches across the sky about 400 yards. And it is a silver, angry, white, brilliant, uh, almost uh, almost too bright moon. As a matter of fact, it gets very difficult, I understand, to get any kind of privacy when the moon is really in business uh, in, certain <laughs> in certain areas of the country. And I'm walking along, you see, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. This is my third or fourth night in Tel Aviv. I'm just beginning to get the, the flavor of this. And of course, when most people go to these cities, unfortunately, they head for the big plush hotels. And you'll find most Mediterranean areas all the way, stretching all the way down from Beirut, 
places like Haifa. These are cities that are on the Med. Uh, places like uh, Piraeus. Uh, places like uh, the, the Crete, uh, the, the uh, islands of Crete, the, the Isle of Rhodes. All along, as, as you come stretching along the Golden Horn of uh, the Mediterranean, there are these great hotels lying right on the ocean. Magnificent hotels. And the beaches, oh boy. Well, most people go to these. And uh, too many people, I'm afraid, don't go into the city itself. Uh, go working working into where the non-tourist world is and where the real, you know, where it's just happening. Where people are just walking around and scratching. Of course, they do that here in New York City, too. Uh, most of the tourists immediately head for uh, Radio City. You know, and then they go down and they take a look at the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. And then they uh, go down to Chinatown. But the, the whole great vast area of the city that's just that just is simmering there under the under the heat in the summer just never gets seen. I don't I don't know how many tourists have ever seen Fordham Road in New York, you know, or Pelham Parkway in heat. Uh, <laughs> and this this is a you know uh, I I, uh, I I think if I ever wanted to show a. Uh, a uh, tourist from a foreign country, what it's really like in New York. I'd like to take him to Magnificent Alexander's up on the Fordham Road at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon when the pack is out in full cry. You know, in the bazaar. That's our native bazaar, you know. And, and, and just take him through there, you know, through the housewares division and watch the screaming and the yelling. Through the uh, ladies' summerwear division. And just, you know, just, uh, uh, of course, they, w- they would be as confused, uh, a, a, true, a, true, uh, a true tourist. Let's take a, a tourist from any country. Just say, uh, let's say if I took a tourist from, uh, oh, uh, well, let's say Nigeria. Uh, over and uh, and I took him in. I took him into uh, Magnificent Alexander's up on uh, Fordham Road on a Saturday afternoon, and all the ladies have come piling in from Pelham Parkway down there. And, you know, their shopping bags going, and their girdles creaking, and their daughters dragging behind them. You know, and all the kids named Maury is dra- dragging behind them and yelling and hollering. Take him into the housewares division. And uh, just try to explain. Of course, he would not have to be explained. He would understand this is the bazaar. And we all have our own bazaar. Now, you can spell it with an A or an I. Depends on how you you approach it. But it's the same thing in a half a yard wide. And I, I am now off the road, see, and I'm walking along this, this, main, this main seaside road that goes on up to Jaffa. Uh, Jaffa is the Arab quarter of Tel Aviv. And I'm about halfway between Jaffa and Tel Aviv itself. And you could smell, you know, there's a, there's a, when you get into the Arab Quarter, there's another, there's another set of smells begin to settle in. To begin with, uh, I, I went into this, <laughs> this do you want to hear more about this later on? Uh, you know, when I brought up uh, that smell, I was reminded, this is uh, WOR AM and FM, New York. Well, you hit the whoopee button. Miller High Life, the bright, clear taste in beer. There's only one champagne of bottled beer, sparkling, flavorful, distinctive, Miller Highlight. 
Brewed from a century-old recipe, Miller High Life has a rich heritage and tradition. A bright, clear taste. Unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging. Available on tap, in cans, and in familiar crystal clear bottles. Miller High Life is always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Enjoy Miller High Life yourself. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Hey, listen, Lee, will you leave a note to the Woolmouth people that I will not read a commercial that is, a, that is directed towards women uh, to tell them, to tell their husband, and to force him to go to Woolmouth. I refuse to do this. We have enough of a matriarchy already. We're not bending to it, so I won't do it. We have a note here about sports jackets, and they say that uh, Woolmouth, you do not have to spend a fortune. Uh, your sport jacket will be designed to camouflage you. You will fit right into the poison ivy this summer, and they'll never know you're there. You can escape into the bushes anytime you want. Uh, in a Woolmouth jacket, that's a Woolmouth and a yard wide. W-O-H-L-M-U-T-H, Woolmouth, for magnificent custom-made sport jackets, okay? In Newark, in New Jersey, of course, there's a Woolmouth store at 849 Broad Street. Ask for old, friendly, smiling Sal. All right. <laughs> Let's see, we've got the Rover here. <laughs> I don't know why that amuses me. Uh, we have Rover, the uh, 2000 TC. It's a great car. And uh, there isn't much I can say about it that I haven't already said. Uh, I can only uh, point out to you that uh, the delivery on the TC model has now begun to achieve uh, some degree of regularity. Uh, that was first introduced at the, sh at the fair here, uh, the big automobile fair at the Coliseum. And since that time, it's become one of the most difficult cars in the world. But you know that in, in uh, Paris, I was just in Paris on my way back from uh, Tel Aviv, and I was sitting around talking to a couple of guys that I know in Paris, and I found out that in that country, it takes 18 months to take or to get delivery on a Rover 2000 TC. It is that much in demand. Uh, this is true throughout most of Europe, and as a matter of fact, I understand they're almost totally impossible to get in England today. Uh, England is trying to make a few bucks, and uh, they're sending them all out of the country, and we're happy here. We can get them. Uh, you won't have to wait more than maybe six or seven years. Uh, this is the Rover 2000. <laughs> All kidding aside, it's a great car, though. It's a Rover 2000 TC, right? Let's see. We have a Honda. I'm uh, doing a special uh, pronunciation. There's two ways to pronounce it. There's Honda for the people who can speak the language, and then there's Honda for the uh, people up in the Bronx area. And for those of you who wonder what I've been talking about, it's the Honda, you know, those motorcycles. Those motorcycles. Uh, the Honda. And uh, if you're planning to make the big step this year, I would uh, highly recommend the visit to Fleischmann. Uh, they're th all throughout the island. And, and incidentally, they're the biggest uh, Honda dealer in the entire East. They have five locations. We have a note here. It says, uh, for those of you who might have thought that insurance costs were pretty high on them, you can be insured now for as little as $24. I would suggest you consult with Fleischmann. They'll tell you about it. That's Fleischmann Honda. They're in Long Beach, West Islip, and Bayshore. And in Queens, that's Woodside. 
That's one mile west of the new Macy's, and they have one out in Douglaston, Long Island. They have all kinds of uh, Hondas. And incidentally, this is the best time of the year to get a motorcycle. I can testify personally because I think I'm going to be going to the beach this weekend on my Super Hawk 304. And very angry machine. Okay? Let's see what else we have, El Rover. Oh, that's it, huh? You want to return to the Middle East? You want to get back to that fantastic... Oh, bring it on there. Sneak it in there. <laughs> you know, I have, I have felt for a long time that uh, the music of any given area of the globe tells more about that area of the globe than almost any other form of communication. The literature, the uh, sculptor, uh, the movies... Because somehow there's something very basic about music. This really is the way the Middle East is, friend. Bring it up. I'm not kidding. It really is. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I am walking along this street. I, the, this One little moment, though, though, that I have to... I even made a note of it. I wrote it on the back of a book that I was carrying that night. I'm walking along this street. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. It's hot. Uh, I can smell the Mediterranean. And I can see the moon hanging over. And I'm, I'm coming down towards the Arab Quarter. And along this area of this, this uh, street, uh, which is only... Uh, it's really just populated on one side because one side is the ocean. The other side is the city. It just abruptly stops right there are all these uh, places. Now, I can't describe them any better than that because there's not really much of a parallel here in America, but they're sort of uh, uh, places where you drink beer, you look at chicks, uh, you play slot machines, uh, you sit around and plot, uh, you, uh, yeah, you, you sell dirty pictures, you buy dirty pictures, uh, it's just all there. It's all a great conglomerate uh, thing. It just goes on and on, block after block. And I see this crowd, sort of a lumpy crowd, eddying out on the sidewalk. A couple of guys with long Arabic robes and these long white tarbushes and, and uh, four or five uh, Israeli soldiers in, in uh, short... Uh, uh, incidentally, uh, I, uh, that's, that's something I didn't mention either. You cannot believe these Israeli girl soldiers... You never saw anything. You have a feeling that all of Lolita is in the army. Oh, wow. I mean, e either that or it's all of Bridget Bardot is in the army. I saw such things. And, and there's, uh, there's two guys wearing these shorts of the, of the uh, Israeli army. And there's a couple of uh, naval officers and a great uh, indeterminate conglomerate crowd. You could smell the Arabic quarter. And by the way, one of the smells about it, no, it's, it's funny. Uh, you, it's, it's, it's a vague smell that I remember... From one summer, about three or four months, uh, I got a job when I was about 10 or 12 uh, working on a farm in Indiana. I worked on a farm. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of, not really a barnyard smell, but it's a smell of a, uh, a sheepfold. Uh, have you ever been around sheep much? You ever been around goats much? Have you ever been around places where they roast coffee? Have you ever been around places where uh, where strange tobaccos are smoked? I am talking about tobaccos that are uh, dark uh, 
kind of a tarry, uh, moist tobaccos that are smoked through uh, perfumed water pipes. Well, you mix now. It's a, it's it's a, it's a strangely attractive, sharp, bitter, biting, uh, exciting aroma. And this is this is the way. This is the only way I can describe the the Arabic quarters. Now, Americans are very funny people. Americans believe that Life Boy smells good. That's a special kind of people. Uh, we're we're the kind of people who live by dial soap ads. Who believe that a per- if a person is totally antiseptic, that's a good person. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, there, there, uh, there's nobody, nobody in the world as hung on cleaning and laundry and soaps and deodorants and all this stuff that's kind of designed to eliminate our humanness, uh, designed to erase somehow the animal side of mankind than Americans themselves. They really, they really are a very special group. And so when I say something has an aroma, immediately people say, Ugh, assuming it's bad. Don't be so sure it is. As a matter of fact, I find that uh, after the first two or three times you're around, you miss it. Uh, you, you, yes, it's all part of it. It's, it's part of the, uh, it's part of the world over there. And, I, and I'm only sorry for you if you don't appreciate it. You're, you're, uh, you're really not getting a, a, a very important facet of the life in that that world. Now, uh, I, uh, one little uh, kind of word of explanation. I go in down through a, a long, winding uh, passageway with a friend of mine, and he is taking me to an oriental restaurant. Now, this is not a tourist oriental restaurant, but a very good one. Now, an oriental restaurant in the Middle East is not a Chinese restaurant. When we think of oriental, we usually think of uh, a Chinese restaurant where you get egg rolls, or we think of uh, a Japanese restaurant. But uh, when they say oriental restaurant, they mean Middle Eastern. And so uh, uh, here we are going down towards a Yemenite restaurant, which is uh, an Oriental restaurant in their terminology. And it's considered a very high-class one, a good one. In fact, it's one of the best in all of Tel Aviv. It's not a tourist joint. It's a place where people come to eat excellent uh, Oriental food. Kebab, uh, shash, uh, shish kebab, uh, shashlik, uh, these excellent dishes. And so we go, go down this winding passage when here are these cars all pulled up, very fine automobiles. There's a couple of Mercedes pulled up there, and there's there's a, a Rolls Royce. Some uh, uh, some uh, somebody has come in from the desert where he's got an oil well. And there's here's you've got the Rolls Royce. You've got two or three uh, uh, long low Ferraris pulled up in front of this place. It's a long winding passage when there's there's uh, uh, several. Uh, women sort of hunched over and sitting on the doorstep there. And it's a little narrow street. Not more than one car can get through it at one time. The high buildings that have been there since so maybe uh, 1740, maybe in that area. This is an ancient, ancient city. And we get in front of the restaurant, and it's got a neon sign out on it, a big blue neon sign. I forget what the name was, something like uh, El Harid, something of that nature. This uh, got a great name, and it's it's uh, it's uh, written in this... Uh, uh, oriental script and you can see the people all sitting in there and they're they're dressed and, and remember they're dressed this is, a, this is a very official restaurant they're all dressed and there's all all nationalities that's you know there's nothing more exciting than to be in an to me than to be in an area where there are all kinds of nationalities all types of language spoken 
It's there's a certain dynamism, you know what I mean? Kind of this, is a, it's, it's it's exciting. It's a it, it's a, uh, I suppose it's the endless excitement of endless variety. Uh, and so uh, you see the restaurant, and it's low. It's a long, low restaurant that bends around this little sharp corner of this narrow, winding street. The Mercedes out in front, the Ferrari, and inside I can see these people, and the the candles are lit. And what do you think is standing right in the middle of the street, right there? This little narrow street. A great big fat sheep. That's just standing there. And it's got a little tether and it's tied up to a fire hydrant. And sent. That uh, he just lived there. It wasn't that somebody parked his sheep out in front, went in and is picking up some uh, shish kebab. Well, this is where he lived. Now, that would be the equivalent of, uh, let's take uh, New York City, that would be the equivalent of going along 48th Street, you get along about Lexington Avenue, and somebody has uh, parked his uh, his water buffalo out in front of the restaurant. And there it is, standing right in the street, and everybody is just going around and paying no attention at all. That is what makes a place exciting. And uh, I, I go around the corner. We're trying to get this car parked. We were driving this little uh, European car. And we go around the corner, and we're trying to park the car. We take it up an alleyway, and we finally stop it. And just as, as we stop it, out of a little alley right in front of us, you hear plop, 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 plop. This little furry burrow comes clop, plop, 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 plop. Kind of a white little burrow, and he's got black ears. He's got plop, 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 plop. And sitting on his back is this fantastic chick. Whew. This girl, she looks at us with her slow eyes, all seven of them cooking, you know. And she's carrying what looks like a little silver platter, and on it are three green peppers. She goes right across the alley in front of us, and into another dark passage, Wayne disappears. You got it? And all around us, these windows are open. You can just, just see them. They're open. You can see people walking. The girl is sitting up there, and she's got big uh, golden sort of uh, strange sparkling earrings, and she's looking down. And you hear this music. It's just all around. It's just drifting down from everywhere. It seems to come out of the gutter pipes. It's coming out of the sewers. It's drifting in and out of the alleys. It's just all around. You can just smell you could smell the sheep, and you could smell the, the tobacco burning. You could smell the pavements upon which people have walked for maybe 500 years, and done a lot of other things, too, by the way, for 500 years or more. And you could smell the edge of the old Mediterranean, and it's just the night out in the restaurant. Oh. Well, all right, so so uh, uh, I'm walking along the street, along the sea, and I see this knot of people, and I cross the street, I wonder what it is, and it's an open-air ice cream joint, and there it is, they're all serving the ice cream, they've got the scoops, and they're putting the ice cream in, and there's a couple of big fat ladies wearing, wearing what look like bandanas around their head, and they're putting the scoops in, and one woman is standing about five feet away, and she's got a great big tub. Obviously, she has been here for probably 250 years. She has this gnarled skin and the look of a lady who's been doing this same thing for all of her life. In fact, she looked parboiled. She's got a great big tub, and under the tub is a charcoal boiler. You can see the charcoal burning really hot. 
and the tub is boiling insanely, just boiling. Uh, just, uh, it's, it's really boiling. And the steam is rising. You can see her face in the steam, and she's got two long forks. And she's pulling out of this great big tub as fast as she can pull it, just as fast as she can work it. And they're all, uh, there's about nine people standing in line. And each one has got what looks like a palm leaf in his hand. She's pulling these things out and laying it down the palm leaf. And then she takes this great big salt shaker and she goes, and then she has some kind of a big brush and she goes, and she slops this stuff over what she puts in the palm leaf. And she, they, they put down this pound, this little Israeli pound. They just lay the pound down, which is about 30 cents. They put the pound down in her little silver tray and they move on. The next one. What is she putting in their hands? The biggest, the fattest, the juiciest ears of, of steamed corn you ever saw in your life. Big golden ears of corn. Oh, they were about two feet long. Great big babies, you know. The kind I haven't seen since I left northern Indiana. Great bacon. Wow. And the steam is rising. And she's just working as hard as she can. Then all of a sudden the kid comes from out in the back. And he's got a great big, he's got a great big basket of fresh corn. He, wow, he pours it in. And he goes, shh. And she keeps working away without even missing a beat. And the music is going boom, but the boom, but the boom. And the heat is steaming up around you. You can smell the sheep. You can hear the old Mediterranean rolling on. Yeah. And they're all lining up for that hot, steamed corn. Oh, wow. And directly back of her, there are these three ladies with the bandanas making ice cream cones as fast as they can knock them out. Fast as they can turn them out, they're knocking out ice cream cones. And I look up over their head is a big sign. It's printed in English. And it says, The Brooklyn Ice Cream Shop. <laughs> the Brooklyn Ice Cream Shop. Oh, wow. Bring it up, Corny. Uh, all right. <laughs> now, I've, I'm not inventing this. I wonder if any of you have ever been in the Brooklyn ice cream shop in Tel Aviv. Well, I have. And not only have I been in the Brooklyn ice cream shop in Tel Aviv, I got in the end of the line and bought myself an ear of corn. Boy, and I'm telling you, it was a real ear of corn. And I'm walking down the street chewing the corn, you know, and cooling it, looking at the scene, uh, moving soft and easy. Uh, up and down, looking into the shops, and they're heading towards Jaffa. Do you want to hear about more about Israel tonight? Uh, you know, this this whole Middle Eastern world, do you want to hear more about it? Well, I'll tell you, you know, there's so much uh, about uh, a country. I have never, to be honest with you, I've never been bored. Maybe this is a, a personal deficiency on my part. But I have never been bored in any place I've ever visited. I have never found any place I've visited dull. I've found some places more exciting than others, but I can honestly say I've never been bored anywhere I've been. But I will tell you this. Uh, if you, uh, as, a, as a person who wants to travel and don't know much about traveling, you know, the one thing I think keeps most people from really enjoying travel, in fact, enjoying life itself, is groundless fear. 
I, I wonder where we develop these fears early in our lives. Uh, the fear of strange smell, for example, Corny, you know? How many people have these fears? Uh, the fear of strange food. Uh, yeah, that's right. The fear of strange names. Just the name, for example, Tel Aviv, sounds uh, foreign. It sounds vaguely dangerous. I suppose most people would feel better if it was called uh, Circleville. You know, or Littleton. Or some, you know, name that you can handle like that. But yet, I do feel that fear, groundless fear, keeps most people from actually genuinely enjoying their lives. I'm talking about fear of all kinds. Sexual, uh, aesthetic. Uh, we could go further and further and further until finally, you know, you don't know where it ends. But nevertheless, uh, I have seen so many people sit in hotel lobbies... And, and and actually, yeah, I actually heard somebody say in, uh, in Tel Aviv, one of the most exciting cities in the world, I actually heard somebody say in a hotel lobby, oh, gee, what's that to do here? What they meant was that there wasn't a social director <laughs> to take them by the hand and take them out and show them you can play volleyball or uh, some ridiculous thing like that. But seriously, though, that kind of fear... Uh, the fear, and I, I've traveled uh, pretty much all over the world, and I have never found uh, walking in the dark in Bangkok. I have never found that uh, going for a long hike at two o'clock in the morning in Singapore has ever been dangerous. Uh, it's it's that it's that thing in the mind, you know. And and I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm walking along that night, and I'm 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 wondering about this, what what it is that keeps us from from uh, tasting these things. And that evening, I had gone into a restaurant, which I'm sure that most people, uh, I shouldn't say most people, too many people, would have bypassed because it had a foreign look about it. And it wasn't on the guide list. You know, I found most of these places that are on the list, the guide list, uh, really are just like home, only not quite as good. And so many of the guidelines are, are built on that premise that most people secretly are afraid of the foreignness of the place they're visiting. And so they make up lists for places that make them feel good, uh, that make them feel at home, uh, that make them feel uh, the familiar quality, you know, the big Coca-Cola sign hanging over there, the, the, yeah, the big sign that says uh, cheeseburgers served here, that kind of thing. And yet... Uh, uh, the, the, the the missing out. In fact, I I uh, I was sitting in the in the hotel lobby, the hotel in Tel Aviv, and I I, was ta I got talking to a woman who was from across the river in Jersey, and uh, I mentioned to the I mentioned to her that I had been in this restaurant the night before. She was asking me about uh, what had I seen in the city and so on, and I told her about this restaurant, and uh, there was kind of a pause, and she said, "Well, weren't you afraid?" I said, afraid of what? Oh, gee, just afraid. Uh, just afraid. Well, uh, this is this is a, not necessarily. Don't think for a minute. This is an American attitude. This is a, this is an attitude that all people share. In fact, uh, uh, it's a fact. It's a, it's a, it's a genuine fact that when an Englishman travels, he looks for other Englishmen. <laughs> he does. Uh, when a Frenchman travel, uh, when a Frenchman comes to New York, the first thing he does is look up a French restaurant. They do. They crowd into the French restaurants. When the Germans travel, they look for a German restaurant. 
They come to New York here, and they all crowd up to uh, Yorkville, go to the German restaurants immediately. And so don't think it's an American quality. Uh, the, the rest of the world likes to pretend that it's an American quality, but it isn't really. It's a universal quality, and yet it's, it's a quality that, that somehow, if, if, uh, maybe it's part of our education somehow, you know, it should be sort of stomped out. But uh, I'm, I'm walking along this street, and uh, I walk into a, uh, a sidewalk cafe. You know, they have sidewalk cafes all over. I, I'm glad to report that that's beginning to start here in America. I'm really delighted that I'm beginning to see for the first time the actual uh, uninhibited use of the sidewalk cafe. This, I think, is one of the most civilized uh, ways to eat and to enjoy a drink, a beer, a cup of coffee. Just sit there in the sun. Don't you agree with me, Carney? It really is. It's, a, it's, it's delightful no matter where you go. And uh, we're beginning to do it here in America without self-consciousness for the first time, and I'm glad of it. Uh, but all over uh, Tel Aviv, anywhere you go in the Middle East, the, the sidewalk cafes spill out all over. They have every, every, every place. They're just wide open. And so I sit down there and I get myself a, a cup of Turkish coffee, which I happen to enjoy immensely. And uh, I'm sitting there drinking my coffee. And uh, about a minute and a half go by, and suddenly a couple of people sit down next to me in the cafe. And it turns out that these are a couple of uh, uh, visiting Bedouins, actually. They're, they've come in, and uh, they're in Tel Aviv for a couple of days, and they're sitting down next to me there. And we got talking. Everybody speaks excellent English. And uh, we got talking about Tel Aviv. And... Uh, the first thing that I heard come out of the mouth of one of these visiting Bedouins was a great thing to hear, because <laughs> all of a sudden I felt uh, immensely at home. He says, "He says, well, he says, uh, Tel Aviv is a exciting city, of course, but uh, I wouldn't want to leave here." <laughs> And I and immediately I think of all the visiting firemen from Ohio who look around, you know, and they, they look up at the up at the building and say, Well, you know, Madge, uh, it sure is a great place to visit, but I sure wouldn't like to live here. And everywhere you go, the people from outside drift into the big city and they take a look at it and they're excited by it, and they smell it, and they look twice and they look three times and they say, Well, yeah. But I wouldn't want to leave here. And ten minutes later, he's back in his Mercedes and he's heading out into the desert to look for this tiny oasis where he actually lives. Tel Aviv. Haifa. Aren't those exciting names? Ashkelon. How about this one? Uz. I bet you've never heard that one. Uz. It's spelled exactly the way Oz is spelled. O-Z. But it's pronounced Uz. And it's right on the edge, right on the edge of disaster. Uz, on the Gaza Strip. Do you want to hear about a little adventure in that department? Oh, by the way, uh, for those of you who are wondering, we will be at the Limelight live this week. So get on the stick, then. I'm going to wear my tarbouche, and I am bringing my Arab slave girl down to the Limelight to make a personal appearance. She arrived today, and I'm delighted to report that she arrived undamaged, duty-free. And she's magnificent. Alabaster skin, sparkling eyes. <laughs> oh, my George. It's the perfect souvenir.